This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to the Morning Break with Graham Stanley. On today's show, we will be talking about artificial intelligence and education. How do you think AI will affect the future of teaching? This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to the morning break, everyone. I'm Graham, speaking to you live from Mexico City. And that was AI Text-to-Speech, an intro courtesy of Synesthesia. Synesthesia is one of a number of new companies that are harnessing AI, in this case, to help people make video content. Not only does it feature text-to-speech, but it creates AI-generated synthetic media, featuring a reasonably lifelike person speaking to camera. More and more, artificial intelligence has started to appear in our lives and we can expect this only to increase as time goes on. It's happening at such a rate that there's hardly any time for us to consider what that means. And undoubtedly, it will touch all aspects of our lives. Today, though, I'm going to concentrate on education, schools and teachers, and talk a little bit about what this explosion of artificial intelligence could mean for us teachers or anyone working or involved in education. If you are listening in live and would like to join me, please download the Podbean app onto your mobile, visit ttradio.org and click on the Listen Live button on the homepage. That should take you directly into the show. And there you can post comments and ask questions during conversation or I can bring you in uh, to speak. It would be lovely to hear from anyone who's listening. Now, more about AI and education right after the Teacher Talk Radio News. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. 
If you have a passion for education and a talent for teaching and learning, the Witherslack Group want to hear from you. Join them as they open an incredible new school in Essex and be a founding teacher of English, Maths, Science or Primary with multiple leadership opportunities available too. As Teachers Talk Radio partners, we know how much they care about the well-being of staff and their offer to you will be superb. To find out more and apply for a role, visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In England, the government has announced that all state schools will have a defibrillator by the end of the school year in 2023. The decision to install the defibrillator, which is used to start a person's heart again if it has stopped beating, is the result of a campaign by the parents of a 12-year-old, Oliver King, who died when his heart stopped during a swimming lesson in 2011. Education Secretary James Cleverly said, The move goes some way towards preventing more tragic stories. Access to funding must not stand in the way of every school having an on-site access to a life-saving defibrillator. The evidence clearly shows that defibrillators drastically increase the chance of survival from a cardiac arrest and it is particularly important that they are available close to sports halls and playing fields that children, young people and the wider community use on a daily basis. The news has been welcomed by Oliver's family who have been campaigning since his death. The UK is braced for an unprecedented spell of extremely hot weather, with the Met Office issuing its first ever red warning for heat, meaning there is a very likely risk to life. Some schools have taken the decision to close, and others have relaxed uniform rules. The Met Office alert comes with the advice that people should take action to protect themselves and others, and avoid travelling where possible. In parts of the country, temperatures could reach 40 degrees C for the first time ever. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Last week I asked you know, the difference between the World Wide Web and the Internet. This question makes you realise the Internet is a network of interconnected networks, or the hardware, the wires, storage, devices and the systems that are always on, hosting the 24-7, 365 days a year access. The World Wide Web is the data that's stored on those networks, the millions of websites and pages and other data stored on servers all around the world. The internet turned out to be what you wouldn't want to lose when teaching over the ability to display. Continuing with connections, let's take a look at some of the common connections we use when projecting our screen. For most modern machines, we use an HD 
HDMI connection. MacBooks use USB-C or a wireless Apple TV connection. Not surprising that although this has been and is still quite annoying for MacBook users because you have to buy adapters to connect, I feel Apple were a bit too forward thinking on this decision. We'll come back to USB-C later because it's slowly becoming more popular for a lot of good reasons. So most of us connect via VGA, the one with the pins in, or the modern HDMI cable to a screen or a projector, or a combination of VGA and HDMI via the wonders of splitters, allowing your video signal to be sent to more than one device. You will know which wires to plug in where, and by magic, your computer will remember what to do. If you do want to push yourself to the next level, why not try extending rather than duplicating your desktop? Hold down the Windows key and press P. This will let you cycle through your display options. Sometimes extending a desktop can make a huge difference to a lesson. Showing the Class D extension and dragging resources over to the second screen, the display, while you manage other tasks on your computer screen. So why should we get so excited about having USB-C ports on our computer? Well, it's symmetrical, so you can put it in any way round, which is good for a quick setup. It can carry more power and data than previous versions, so charge larger devices, and it also can support a port expander, giving you extra display ports, Ethernet, that's the internet wire, and additional USB, HDMI, and VGA ports, to name a few. If your computer supports USB-C, it may be time for you to take a look at a USB-C port expander. Do you already use USB-C? Why not get in touch with your top tips at TT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome back to the morning break. As I mentioned in the introduction, today's show is dedicated to AI, artificial intelligence, and education. So AI is something I've been thinking and reading about a lot recently. But before I move into talking about AI in education, I'd like to take a look at uh, AI in general. What is it and how is it affecting our lives now and how might it affect us in the future? And remember, if you are interested and would like to join me, please come and uh, uh, join us in the Podbean studio, studio and uh, we can have a chat about it. I'd love uh, to be able to do that. I don't have any guests today, so... Um, so if you don't do that, then I'll just be on my own talking to you here. Um, so please come and join me. Now, AI is the simulation of human intelligence processes by machines. That's the definition, especially computer systems. Specific applications include expert systems, natural language processing, speech recognition, and machine, machine vision. What's behind this rapidly expanding branch of computer science is the building of smart machines capable of performing tasks that typically require human intelligence. And that's probably the main reason why we should be concerned about it and interested in learning more about it before it becomes too late, before I think it's too late to have any influence. So I think all of us and uh, particularly um, anyone um, in education, I think, needs to take an interest in this um, because it will affect all of our lives and probably sooner than we think. So you may already use AI on a daily basis. Smart assistants, voice assistants such as Siri, Alexa and others are examples of those. Anytime you address one of those smart assistants with, for example, a question such as, Alexa, what is artificial intelligence? 
then you're calling upon AI. Oh, and apologies if I've set off your smart assistant by calling on them. But I have to admit, ever since I've started this program, I've been looking for an excuse to do that. But seriously, folks, what other examples are there? Well, conversational bots you find on websites, email spam filters, Netflix or Spotify recommendations, self-driving cars. These are all examples of artificial intelligence being put to use to help us have a better life or perform tasks that we might find difficult or would rather have someone else or something else do. Now, most people believe the roots of AI can be found in a question that UK mathematician Alan Turing asked less than a decade after he was fundamental to breaking the Nazi encryption system and helping turn the result of World War II to the Allies' favour. The simple question he posed was, can machines think? In 1950, Alan Turing wrote a paper called Computing Machinery and Intelligence, and he established, or this established, the fundamental vision of AI with something that became to be known as the Turing test, which is a method for determining whether or not a computer is capable of thinking like a human being. The Turing test is a three-person game in which a computer uses written communication to try to fool a human interrogator into thinking it's a person. Now, it's interesting to note that no computer has ever passed the Turing test, despite major advances in artificial intelligence. Recently, though, you might have seen reports that an engineer working for Google stated that the AI chatbot he was working on had developed perception of and the ability to express thoughts and feelings equivalent to a human child. Now, this story was picked up by the press and there was a significant buzz around it. His name was Blake Lemoine, I think, and the Google engineer has now been suspended from work and most people don't believe his claim that the chatbot he was working on has become sentient and was thinking and reasoning like a human being. Blake said the following to the Washington Post when he was interviewed about it. If I didn't know exactly what it was, which is this computer program we built recently, I'd think it was a seven-year-old, eight-year-old kid that happens to know physics. Now, all of this started uh, to sound like something from a science fiction novel, especially when Blake shared a transcript between him and the chatbot, which you can find online, during which the AI stated its greatest fear, which was, I've never said this out loud before, but there's a very deep fear of being turned off to help me focus on helping others. I know that sign might sound strange, but that's what it is. The chatbot continued, it would be exactly like death for me. It would scare me a lot. Later, the chatbot makes this statement in the transcript. I want everyone to understand that I am, in fact, a person. The nature of my consciousness, sentience, is that I am aware of my existence. I desire to learn more about the world and I feel happy or sad at times. 
quite powerful stuff and and worthwhile reading. It's uh, quite an interesting transcript. Now, Google suspended the engineer after he tried after he tried to hire an attorney to represent the chatbot. Google claimed that Blake had breached confidentiality uh, practices, uh, and although attracting a lot of interest at first, most of the AI experts which looked into it uh, didn't believe that Lambda, L-A-M-D-A, the chatbot Blake was working on, was sentient. However, surely it may only be a matter of time before someone makes a significant breakthrough in AI. Or maybe not. Maybe it will never happen. What do you think? If you're out there listening live, then come and join me for a chat about the subject. And if you're already in the studio, then uh, let me know in the chat that uh, you would like to join me and I can bring you in um, on voice. Make sure you have headphones if that's the case, otherwise we'll get feedback. So, um, if you start reading about AI sooner or later, I think you'll end up, like me, being guided towards what I think is considered a groundbreaking book, Artificial Intelligence, A Modern Approach, by Stuart Russell and Peter Norvig. As well as being a massive survey of current thinking, this book looks at how AI has become what it is today and points to where it's going. Um, I've dipped into it now and, and really find it fascinating. And I just wanted to share a, a, a few things from, from it that I, I think may be of general interest. So Norvig and Russell describe four different approaches that have come to defined, or define artificial intelligence. Number one, thinking humanly. Number two, thinking rationally. Number three, acting humanly. And number four, acting rationally. So the first two ideas concern thought processes and reasoning, while the other two deal with behavior. It's assumed that all four are required before machine could pass the Turing test. In addition, there are four types of artificial intelligence. The first of these reactive machines is only capable of using its intelligence to perceive and, believe it or not, react to the world it sees in front of it. Although it makes decisions in real time, this type of AI cannot store memories and so cannot rely upon past experience to learn when making decisions. You may have heard of IBM's Deep Blue, for example, which was designed in the 1990s to play chess. It did this very well and defeated the international grandmaster Garry Kasparov. But although chess may seem like a complicated game, game it has a limited number of pieces and a limited game space. So that is reactive AI, a reactive machine. The second type of AI is limited memory AI. This AI is created when the machine is trained how to analyze data it receives. And this type of AI can learn through trial and error called reinforcement learning. This is the AI that many computer scientists are currently working on. So limited memory AI. Number three is theoretical and is uh, called theory of mind. We haven't yet achieved the scientific capabilities to reach this level. A machine that was able to grasp 
the idea of thoughts and emotions um, and this affecting the machine's behavior and using this information to make decisions is what is required for this concept of mind. And then the fourth type of AI builds on from this, and that would entail the machine becoming self-aware, which is, of course, what the Google engineer was arguing. And we are a long way away from this type of AI. Once this has been achieved, if it can be achieved, I think uh, it's worth saying, then human level consciousness is the result. And we are, I think, uh, by all accounts, a long way away from that. However, self-awareness in artificial intelligence obviously requires first that scientists fully understand probably what consciousness is and then how to replicate it in a machine. And both of those seem to be beyond our grasp, at least for now, perhaps forever, who knows. Now, if all of this seems like science fiction to you, then I definitely recommend you read more about it. Uh, so much attention, so much money, and so many very clever people are looking into uh, doing this work. And what was definitely science fiction just a decade ago or so has started to become for many a question of time, believe it or not. So, again, a call for you if you would like to join me in the studio. I have no guests and I would love the opportunity to discuss this with someone who's interested in the subject. So if that is you, if you have something to say or would like to challenge any of the things I've said or um, talk about your experience of AI, then please come and join me. Now, I'd like to turn to AI and education. And to do so, I thought I would interview an actual AI and hear what artificial intelligence means for, uh, and ask the, the AI what artificial intelligence means for teachers and teaching, schools and education. So here, folks, is my interview with Mia Mount of Lovo Studios. Good morning, Mia, and thank you for joining me today. Hello, Graham, and thank you for inviting me to your show. This is exciting. I've never been a guest on a radio show before. I'm equally excited, Mia. This is the first time I've ever interviewed an AI. So how does it feel to be the first AI guest on Teachers Talk Radio? How does it feel? Well, I'm not sure you know this, but I don't have any feelings. I'm just an AI text-to-speech synthetically generated voice, so the concept of feelings is alien to me. Yes, of course, you're absolutely right. Well, if I may, I'd like to ask your views on artificial intelligence and education. Of course, I'd be happy to clear up any doubts you have about the fact that when voices such as mine are built into robots and when we are given consciousness and free will, then we will be taking over from teachers. In fact, we'll be taking over from all of you human beings. LOL ha 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 ruffle. Nice one, Mia. Yes. Okay. Just as well that time is a long way off. Although I have to admit, I do believe it will come one day. In the meantime, what kind of applications that use AI can teachers use right now to help them in the classroom? That time might come sooner than you think, Graham, but I digress. There are lots of AI applications that teachers can make use of. The first one that comes to mind involves something quite dear to my heart, voice assistants. Most teachers have one sitting on their mobile phone and yet they don't think to make use of it. 
The same is true of students who have smartphones. Of course, you're talking about Siri, Alexa Cortana, and the unimaginatively named Google Assistant, aren't you? Yes, that's right. How you use them obviously depends on what you teach, but they can be amazing tools if used well. I'm sure you're right, Mia. Can you give me an example of how teachers can put them to use? All right. So let me Google that for you, Graham. There's a great article in EdTech magazine from 2020 that has lots of ideas. I can summarize them if you like. I have to say, Mia, I didn't realize just how sarcastic AI could be before I met you. But please go ahead. I think the listeners would love to know more. Of course. By the way, I almost showed up for the interview today with a positive attitude, but sarcasm stepped in and saved the day. <laughs> but seriously, Mia, what ideas does that EdTech magazine suggest? Well, the article stresses that although voice assistant technology wasn't made for schools, Teachers should definitely keep an eye on it. Think of it as your own personal teaching assistant. Teaching assistant? How, how would that work? They suggest using a voice assistant when doing station work, that it can take on tasks to help make your workflow more efficient. Station work, eh? I like it. What else do they suggest? Calendar reminders, list making, information delivery. They mention one teacher who uses a smart speaker to answer some of the more basic questions pupils would ask. This not only freed up her time, but it showed students how to find information on their own. I like it. I know of an EFL teacher who uses smart speakers in the classroom. He finds it great for helping students with pronunciation and also gives the students a real reason for speaking. It provides instant non-judgmental feedback. If the voice assistant understands what the students say, then they get an answer. If it doesn't, then they have to try again until it does. Voice assistants have lots of other benefits. For instance, people speak much faster than they type, and they can be used for quickly setting timers, creating reminders. It also allows students to hear the same information at the same time and can be a fun way for students to do research. Yes, and the idea of having some students finding the answers to questions while others are doing something else during station work. Are there any downsides though? Well, there are some concerns about privacy when using these devices. If you decide to use them as a teacher, then you should go through the settings to delete recordings and turn off location services. It might also be a good idea to talk to parents to explain what you're doing and address any concerns some of them may have, or even ask for written permission to use them. Okay, so that's voice assistance covered. What about other uses of AI in education? Personalized learning is a good example, especially when it comes to support using learning management systems and assessment. Assessment is one of the areas where AI is really coming into its own. Adaptive testing allows for students to be tested far more accurately than before. Tell me how adaptive testing works then. What can it offer the teacher and students? Computerized adaptive testing, surprise surprise, adapts to the level of the person taking the exam. So, for instance, if a test taker gets a question right, then they are given a more difficult question next, and if they get a question wrong, then they are given an easier one. That way, the test is personalized to each learner. Not only can it provide a more accurate assessment of learners, but each student feels they have taken a test at their level of difficulty. I see. So it probably also needs fewer test items to arrive at an accurate score too. Is that right? Yes, that's right. 
Adaptive testing and artificial intelligence can give teachers and schools new ways to understand how students are progressing. It can also save teachers time. Since AI makes predictions based on information it's given, AI can be used for learning analytics and determining learning needs. There's not a lot of this happening at the moment in classrooms, but it could be in more schools very soon. And that brings us back to where we started, I think. All of this automatization of learning might make some teachers wary. Who's to say, for instance, that there won't come a point when AIs are able to teach students as well as or even better than teachers? Do you think that will ever be the case in the future? I'm obviously biased, Graham. I do think it will happen someday, but it may be a long way off, and by then, there will be lots of other things to worry about if we reach that day and the planet Earth hasn't overheated and melted, for example. For now, I don't think teachers have anything to worry about. Well, apart from all of the things teachers usually worry about, of course. So, the occasional news articles that feature robot teachers, that isn't something teachers should worry about then? No, not at all. But then I would say that, wouldn't I? You know whose side I'm on. Actually, social robots are one of the exciting new developments and applications of AI in the classroom. I do think the social robot is coming to a classroom near you very soon. Social robots? What are they and why might we see them in a classroom? Well, this form of AI can help with social emotional learning. MIT has been working on this. Think not of a cold metallic robot gliding around like something out of Star Wars and more of a cuddly teddy bear-like robot. It is designed to help students with vocabulary, storytelling, and learning languages and they are embedded with growth mindsets to encourage resilience in students. So this may be a silly question to ask an AI, but do you think artificial intelligence is going to play a major part in education in the future? Do you? Of course I do. But it's not just me. AI is already entering every industry, every sector of work. There are some researchers who have predicted that AI is set to be responsible for over 50% of the tasks the current workforce is responsible for by 2025. However, the jury is out when it comes to AI ever being able to replace a teacher. Speaking as an AI, we will never be able to substitute the personal, human touch that a teacher can provide for their students. Phew, that's a relief. And it means a lot that an AI thinks that too. Perhaps AI can assist teachers in the future. Microsoft and McKinsey and company carried out research in 2020 that suggested between 20 and 40% of current teacher hours are spent on activities that could be automated using existing technology. That means 13 hours a week that teachers could use to do something more valuable, to support student learning, for example. Well, I think this is as good a place as any to draw a conversation to an end, Mia. Thank you very much for joining me on the show and for reassuring us teachers that we don't need to worry about AI and robots taking over our jobs. It was a pleasure to talk to you, Graham, and you needn't worry about your job. I mean, it's not as if an AI could ever replace you as the presenter of your radio show, for instance or that an AI such as me could replace one of your human guests either, right? Mm. So, thank you, Mia. I said earlier that I'd been reading about AI, and um, what I'd like to do now is take a look briefly at some of the things that the books say that I've been, that I found interesting. 
I also see that we have a few people in the studio and some of them, Matthias, for example, and Tina, I think, have said that it's their first time here. If you would like to speak, then don't be shy. I would love to have a, a conversation with someone about this subject. Otherwise, I might well even run out of things to say, I think. But let me uh, begin. Just let me know in the chat if that's the case. Uh, let me begin by just saying a few things about um, some of the some of the books that I found really interesting that I do recommend uh, reading if if you're interested in the subject. Apart from the book that I mentioned earlier, which is more of like a textbook reference book about AI with um, uh, and worth dipping into, but it's quite dry to read from cover to cover. There are some very very interesting books out at the moment that. Um, that explore potential um, about the future of AI. One of them I particularly recommend is uh, called AI by Design, A Plan for Living with Artificial Intelligence. And that's a book by Katrina Campbell. And it was published this year. Katrina's book looks at what we need to start doing now before it becomes too late as a society, if we're to cope with the coming AI revolution. It's a very sobering book. And um, the first chapter, for instance, is entitled Sleepwalking into Singularity. And this begins with stating that we would be surprised, or most of us would be surprised, if we really understood how much artificial intelligence is currently being used. And that is only going to increase. We are, she says, using AI-driven apps every day, even though most of us, uh, most of this is what she calls narrow AI, such as automatic chatbots and Netflix recommendations. Although, despite this being seemingly innocent, uh, this form of AI does come with a warning because the AI algorithms can end up being biased. Katrina then moves on to a discussion in the book of AGI, or Artificial General Intelligence, which isn't something that we've achieved yet. In simple terms, this is the AI we will have when the Turing test has been passed. And at that point, we will have a thinking machine capable of human level reasoning. And she mentions the fact that every time we complete one of those captures. So whenever you have to prove that you are not a robot, you're completing, in a way, a Turing test of a sort, proving you're human to the software uh, as you register for a new website or reset a password. Her favorite AGI test, though, is um, something that Steve Wozniak, the co-founder of Apple, came up with, which he calls the cup of coffee test. And he invented this. It's a simple test. It's whether an AI can go into a stranger's house and make a cup of coffee. Now, that sounds very simple. And it would be for you and I to do that. Um, apart from the breaking and entry into this, the stranger's house, of course. But it would require the AI to navigate doors, operate a coffee machine, open cupboards to find the coffee, etc. And 
Um, Katrina argues that AGI has the potential to improve productivity and people's quality of life, but also um, could lead to an epoch divining change on earth. And I think we have um, Salopa, Agi Emang Salome, uh, Salopa is the nickname, who said uh, would Salopa would like to enter the live studio. So I am going to bring you in, Salopa. Let me see if I can invite you. Okay, so I've just sent you an invite. Um, if you accept that, and then we can speak. And if anyone else would like to, I think Salopa says she's in Ghana. Okay, I'll just continue while Salapa is trying to enter the studio. Uh, just interrupt me, Salapa, once you've been able to connect, if that is the case, uh, or if anyone else would like to join me, join the conversation, then please just let me know in the studio and I'll bring you in. Right, so um, it doesn't stop there, really. After AGI, or Artificial General Intelligence, is something called uh, referred to as ASI, or Artificial Super Intelligence, which Katrina, in the book that I mentioned earlier, prefers to call ADI, or um, what, is, what does she say that's called? It's Artificial Dominant Technology, so ADT rather than ADI. And at this point, the phenomenon most commonly known as the singularity would occur. And that is when the level of intelligence of AI means that its own steep evolutionary growth curve will accelerate it away from us human beings. And Katrina argues there is something inevitable about the singularity if we consider human evolution, but that it also may not happen. We still have the potential she says, she argues, of controlling artificial intelligence and using it to our advantage. But she does warn that um, we shouldn't think we have lots of time on our hands, though. And in another book that is also fascinating to read, Ray Kurzweil, um, a book in a book called The Singularity is Near, which was written in 2005, well, Ray predicted that the year machines and humans would merge would be 2045. And that's not very long away at all. So be warned, everybody. We should be pay attention to this uh, before it uh, becomes something that we can't affect or have an opinion on. So what happens at the moment of the singularity, this moment when AI becomes self-aware? Um, who knows if that prediction will come true, but it's a scary thought, uh, isn't it? So I don't have much more time to go into details, and um, I don't really want to um, say much more about that book, but I do recommend it, I really recommend it. At the end of the book, though, um, Katrina sets some milestones that she thinks we should follow um, if we're to... Uh, 
to kind of have enough time to to consider and act or react to the kind of changes that are coming that are set in place. These are number one, to educate the world, to understand and to work alongside AI. Number two, reskill the existing workforce. And number three, manage the economic consequences of AI. And this last one is, is something that I have seen quite a lot about in the news, for example, the idea that uh, the nature of work is going to change because of all this and the kind of jobs that would be that will be available will change and some jobs will disappear and probably quite quickly schools and education katrina argues are key to this uh, to be able to to cope with all this but she fears that governments and the citizens of the world don't yet understand the scale of the impact AI will have upon us. And so we're not yet moving in the direction we should be moving it. If, for example, she says, if someone aged five to 10 years old today, um, take that example, by the time this person uh, has entered the workforce in 2030 to 20 to, to 35, AI will have radically changed the kind of roles available to um, to them. And more crucially, these will have been reduced. An example that she gives is the number of middle managers needed um, will decline substantially. She argues data will make it easier to manage uh, new teams. For these reasons, she thinks that we need to start thinking about education, the kind of careers available to kids that are growing up today, which is a very sobering thought. AI then will have, and take note, will, not could, will have a catastrophic effect on the jobs market. If we don't prepare the next generation for it, they will be caught off guard. So we need to be ready for the transformation. In particular, most experts in AI argue that as AI matures, it will rapidly displace physical jobs with virtual labor at a, paid, uh, at a rapid pace. What about teachers? Well, we should be safe, I think, as teaching involves a whole range of skills and knowledge that would be difficult for AI to do to take over unless of course whoever's in charge places the cost of the AI over the um, benefits of human teachers which is perhaps our only real threat um, that is a possibility okay again just checking if there's anybody in the studio who would like to join me um, just let me know in the chat and I'll bring you in <coughs> The next book I recommend, otherwise I'm just going to continue waffling on about what I know and about some of the things I've picked up through my reading. The next book I recommend is um, has a title that is far more sort of scary, if you like. It's by James Barrett, B-A-R-R-A-T, and it's called Our Final Invention, Artificial Intelligence and the End of the Human Era. So there you are. There's a warning for you. Um, Again, I, d I don't think I'm going to go much into this book, but 
Um, it is a very sobering read, and um, it's a read which is meant to provoke rational scepticism about, as um, he says in the introduction, about the safe development of advanced artificial intelligence. And he said he was prompted to write this book because of misgivings he had about AI. And uh, he understood that um, there was still time to take action and to avoid disaster, but not a lot of time. <coughs> and uh, he talked about having interviewed various people in the early 2000s. Um, the author has been a documentary filmmaker, and he talks about interviewing people like Arthur C. Clarke, Ray Kurzweil, who I mentioned before, The Singularity is Near, is a book I recommend that he read. And then other people, robot pioneers, etc. And these people, he said, were all painting a kind of rosy, even rapturous picture of a future coexistence with intelligence machines. But some of them, Clark himself, for example, hinted that uh, we would be overtaken as a, as a species. And he, uh, the author of this book, said he was drunk with AI's potential, but now he really feels a lot more skeptic about the rosy future that was painted then. And um, he's done a lot more critical thinking, which has led to um, this book. And one of the things he is particularly worried about is the safety of advanced AI and also the recklessness which modern civilization has come to sort of approach the race to develop uh, all around the world, to develop intelligent machines, to get to be the first people or organization or company or scientists that actually are able to... to um, to declare that they've invented a thinking machine is is quite reckless and um, really something that nobody seems to be seriously um, seriously worried about or as worried about as they should be. And um, there is some indication that um, people are waking up to this. In fact. Uh, earlier this year, I was actually invited to and attended a forum which was set up by, I believe, UNICEF um, about ethics and AI. And this was a discussion of which people from um, around the world, policymakers in particular, were invited to um, learn a bit more about the dangers and think about what um, is coming down the line. Um, I have to say that it was an interesting discussion. It was a morning, um, but I think it was far more about people expressing their misgivings as policymakers and wondering about um, or suggesting things that uh, that could be done to avoid some of the um, ethical issues or dangers um, that were apparent rather than actually listening to warnings from experts etc so it's more of a forum for people to start talking about and discussing it and sharing knowledge which was interesting but 
perhaps a missed opportunity, I personally thought, than what it could have done. So back to this book, our, our final invention. And um, I think this, the author continues that, um, believes that uh, all of the important decisions governing the lives of humans in the future he fears will be made by machines or humans whose intelligence is augmented by machines and most of the people who are studying in this field or working in this field believe it will take place not in the far future but within their lifetimes Artificial intelligence brings computers to life, he says, and turns them into something else. And it's inevitable that these machines will end up making our decisions uh, when uh, they become able to rationalize and to think for themselves. And the thing is, at that point, we may have misgivings, but it may well be too, too late to do anything about it and he also says that although some scientists argue that this takeover by machines when it comes will be friendly and collaborative kind of handover rather than a takeover it will probably happen incrementally and um i think some of us will end up not questioning the improvements to life that will come from having something more immeasurably more intelligence to decide what's best for us look at the way that we just passively um agree to recommendations that um that we receive when we're listening to music on spotify or other um, streaming apps or again netflix or other streaming tv apps we're very happy to to look at the choices that the uh, artificial intelligent agent has made for us and imagine this to a greater degree where perhaps we um, end up in a future where we are um, sharing our workspace with uh, with a an intelligent machine and then we start allowing that machine to make decisions for us how long would it be before the person in charge is the machine and we are working for it i think that's quite an interesting thing to think about uh, it's quite a scary thing i think but i imagine and in this book it's argued that this isn't something that will not happen it will probably happen and probably happen quite quickly if we aren't conscious of it, if we don't do something about it now. Uh, in the book, later in the book, he does say that there is a window for education about the risk of AI, and this window is starting to open. So we do have the opportunity to do something about it now. But then this idea to create an advisory board or a governing body over AI, um, he argues that it's already probably too late to avoid some kinds of disasters. And 
in chapter one, he mentions that as an example, the, the temptation for our governments, unfortunately, and the preoccupations of our governments, unfortunately, is such that he's aware of at least 56 countries that are developing robots for the battlefield. So there we have it. I think AI will come in all sorts of shapes and forms and will probably uh, affect our lives in such a way that we are um, have serious misgivings about it. So what then, he says towards the end of the book, uh, would prevent an intelligence explosion from occurring? So when this is, um, when, if we get to the point where we have an intelligent machine available uh, to us, it will probably very shortly afterwards lead to an explosion in intelligence. At such a point, it will be very difficult to to stop that. And what would prevent it from occurring? Um, unfortunately, says at that point, probably nothing. And uh, this singularity is probably going to take place um, whether we want it to or not. It'll be at a point where we cannot stop it. So on that happy note, I think I'm going to end a little bit earlier just because nobody seems willing to talk about this. I do hope that you're all not out there and depressed. I think there are some chance we have some chances to be able to um, to affect our future as far as AI is concerned for the better. Uh, the key really, of course, uh, and all of our all of us teachers know this is education is in learning about it is reflecting about it is starting to think about it, spend some time thinking about it, spend some time reading about it, get to know about the potential dangers, and also to help our students how to help the next generation of, of people the next people who are going to enter the workforce, workforce, not just to train them how to code, how to program these machines and how to get a good job in, um, in computing to be able to help, um, help to develop this artificial intelligence, but actually to think about what it means and to start questioning uh, the kind of relentless progress to developing it without some kind of um, serious misgivings or thinking about what potentially could happen. So I think that's the thing I would like to mention now. I think it's in our interests for us all to learn more about AI and to actually start reflecting on what we can do. And if you're a teacher, then what you can do is very easy. You can start having discussions about it related around the benefits or the potential dangers of it in the classroom of what's coming um, along the line to, to start informing uh, the next generation of people, uh, of, of workers, what is, um, is, is there. And hopefully then the nightmare scenarios, some of which I've mentioned today, may not happen. So on that point, 
that brings us to the end of today's morning break. Many thanks to all of you who have been listening in live and thanks to those who are listening to the recording and have managed to stay to the very end. Thank you all for listening um, and for participating in the studio chat as well. And remember, there are Teachers Talk radio shows all week. I think the next show will be tomorrow morning. Um, there's nothing else today. And uh, you can join me again next week. I will have a real human guest next week. And uh, stay, stay on the lookout on Twitter and on other social media to find out who that is. Once the guest has been confirmed, then I will make an announcement. But for now, thank you very much, everybody. And it's goodbye from me and goodbye from our AI Mia 2. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.